0: Welcome to Then Now Whatever, the wrestling podcast, episode 23. I'm your host, the Doctor Among Men, Duncan Joyce, and today we're taking a look at Progress Wrestling's biggest ever show, Chapter 76, Hello Wembley, from the SSE Arena in Wembley, which took place on September 30th, 2018. Joining me today is a long-time friend of the podcast, who was there in attendance for the show, never mind Eddie Dennis, he's the real pride of Wales, it's Gareth Butler, Thanks very much, man.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) It's my pleasure. Well, you're basically the whole reason we're here, because you noticed that Progress has sent the call out to several members of the media, big or small, to be in attendance at the show. Neither of us up here up North could make it, but I knew you'd be going.
1: I couldn't quite believe it when it paid off. I mean, it's a testament to you guys and what you've been doing on the podcast. Adam, the social media guy that's picked us all, has said that he's he spent time listening to the podcasts and they've picked the ones they like, so you guys are obviously doing something that people at Progress like.
0: And We did get a sneaky extra listener, too, to some of our Progress episodes, so we're clearly <laughs> not offended them too badly. I'll ask you the same thing ask anyone who's new to the show. Give us a little bit about your fandom in general with wrestling how you got into wrestling and since it's the subject of the show how you got into progress in particular
1: i've been a fan of wrestling since i was probably about 10 years old 1998 during the sort of peak attitude era i started watching so casually as a lot of people my age probably did had sort of cable or sky but didn't quite have sky sports and on the Saturday mornings, you'd get Livewire and Shotgun. And it was just kind of like hour-long highlight shows. And that would kind of gave me a taste of it and got me interested in it. It wasn't until the Summer Slam of 98 when Stone Cold and The Undertaker were making an event in Madison Square Garden. And that was the one where I was like, I cannot miss this match. They were the two guys who I was sort of tussling between. They were my, both my favourites and nagged and nagged and nagged until my parents let me get Sky so I could watch SummerSlam 98 and since then just been a massive fan. As far as progress goes, I'm not going to profess myself to be sort of a long-term fan, probably in the same situation as as a lot of people. I didn't really know much about the British independent wrestling scene until the UK Championship happened last year. I just happened to take a gamble on getting tickets to the, the first night in Blackpool couldn't believe what I saw, the quality of the wrestling and the fact that this had all been going on sort of under our noses for so long and it wasn't until a big company like WWE shined a light on it and it sort of emphasised just what's going on out there and I came away from that night just being completely in awe of people like Pete Dunne, Tyler Bate, Trent Seven, Mark Andrews and went away and did a bit of research and thought, hold on a second... I can see all of these guys in this promotion called Progress. And been following them since that. couple of months after the Blackpool show, I went to my first Progress show. I think it was Chapter 45 at the Ritz, where Jimmy Havoc and Pete Dunne headlined with the, the deathmatch. It was quite an introduction to Progress.
0: Ah, yeah, quite the birthday for Mr Havoc there. Yes. You're quite a regular in terms of going to Progress shows now and stuff.
1: I try and make them as many as I can. Me and my wife are season ticket holders for Camden. We go to all the London shows. We do the Manchester shows, Birmingham, Sheffield. We're currently discussing log- logistics of if Bournemouth is possible. It's quite a long way from Leeds, but we'll see what we can do about that one. But yeah, it's been great. I mean, last year I was I was lucky enough to I was out for WrestleMania when it was in Orlando. I got to catch the show out there. I caught the crazy first show they did in in New York. We had the return of Jack Gallagher and the unfortunate accident to TK Cooper that happened right in front of my eyes, and I could not believe what I was seeing.
0: Hmm, yeah, and tell me, Gareth, did you manage to get out of that with about six pounds less worth of body weight from sweating it out in that really really hot building?
1: The only thing that potentially had more heat than that building was Zach Gibson himself.
0: <laughs> going into Wembley, what were you most anticipating? What was your general feel going into it? My
1: feeling was just overall excitement. The show just felt massive. Not just sort of the Wembley show itself. It was a big weekend in British wrestling. We had the Fight Club Pro Project Mayhem weekend as well. We I travelled down to Wembley via Wolverhampton, so... We got to do the Friday and Saturday night in the hangar in Wolverhampton before moving on to Wembley on the Sunday. In terms of the show itself, I think most people were probably looking forward to the same thing as me, and that was Mark and Eddie. The build had been just done so, so well. And I remember walking away from Alexandra Palace last year after Eddie started all of this in motion and saying to some friends in the car ride on the way home that potentially feels big enough that they could run this for a year if they wanted to. And I think in some instances they've maybe been helped by Eddie's injuries. I don't know if because of those we maybe haven't had a couple of meetings that we may have already had before the big blow-off at Wembley. But either way, the way it's all panned out, is it's just been the talk of British wrestling and maybe seeing it all come to an end at Wembley on the biggest stage of them all, was, that was definitely the thing I was most looking forward to.
0: I think there's certainly something to be said for having a build that's not quite so much focused and Eddie's injury probably contributed to that.
1: Yeah, that's one of the main reasons that I watch Progress, is I, I go to Progress for, for storylines. There are plenty of other indie promotions in the UK that offer great wrestling, but no one seems to offer the storylines that progress gives you. And the, the fact that they could just build this rivalry and build this tension, and do it through words and actions that don't necessarily involve having a wrestling match or having a physical altercation, So the way Eddie turned up in America, the way he followed Mark there, just those actions, the way that he he went after Mark's friends, the way he cost Danny Jones his Natural Progression series, the way that he cost Ricky Shane Page the Tag Championships and the US Mm -hmm. Tour. There's just so many different ways that they went to, the different lengths that they went to, to show how personal this feud was and how Eddie wouldn't be denied and Eddie wouldn't be stopped until he got his hands on Mac and got what he wanted.
0: Yeah, for sure. So talk to us a little bit about your day then and the sort of media access that you got. Is This sounded really exciting.
1: Yeah, the day itself was unreal. Got to Wembley Arena shortly before the main doors were due to open. Met up with the rest of the podcast guys. Met up with Adam from Progress. We got checked in. We went inside. The first thing we did is... We hung around backstage in almost like a gorilla position. There was a couple of monitors set up, a load of chairs you could see it's probably the area where they were going to call the show or where the guys in the back were going to sit and watch what was happening out on the hard cam and it was quite exciting. You could see a lot of guys milling around. Wild Ball was walking around, Trent Seven Volter, Jim Small was pacing up and down I think as nervous as you'd expect in that kind of situation and just this sort of pinch yourself moment that Somehow you're backstage at Wembley Arena at the biggest independent wrestling show in England in the last 30 years. It's just absolute madness.
0: Wow. And so you actually got to be in a little sort of press pack. You got to interview some of the stars and stuff?
1: Just before we did that, we got to, we got to go out into the main arena and we got to see the setup before they officially started letting people come in. So that was kind of special. After that, yeah, we got taken away to a press bar some complimentary beverages were put on, which was very much appreciated. Yeah, we got to sit in on some interviews. We had the pleasure of Mr Smallman and Glenn joining us to get things started. They were just so excited. It was a testament to them that hard work pays off. But at the same time, Jim always says that it's a, it's a little company that he started with his two mates and you can feel that sort of camaraderie between him and Glenn and the banter that they were having between each other.
0: Yeah, and we can hear some of them right now talking about the enormity of the show and what they were expecting. Every single show in the
2: ballroom, I go out and look at the queue and go, Oh, people are coming! And I know, because we sold the show out, but... I'll have like, yeah, I I like, a lot, lot of seats, <laughs> <things. Ooh, laughs> like these people say. And i we sold <laughs> it, all of them. So... <laughs> the first thing, I, I, I did that gulp. Um, where it's like it was a proud goal, but it was still a goal. Like, are we going to be able to, to build this? And like you just said, we know the people are coming. When you look at the past returns and compared to where we came from, like you mentioned earlier on, going from the, before the ballroom, the garage, the ballroom, but we thought Wrexham was the biggest we ever been. I'm sure like some people here were going to hit the academy. Now to be like double that, that's just mind And it was quite emotional as well because the three of us spent awful oh. lot of times to, to and <laughs> most of the people I've worked with in my career I do genuinely <laughs> do <and laughs> that's the same <laughs> <Africa. laughs> now. Uh, we've, we've managed to be able to do this only between the three of us. Uh, we haven't <laughs> yelled at each other today which is good today. It's mm-hmm. a successful day. Normally we would <laughs> get out of the way, 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 way now? I've yelled at other people but I haven't yelled at you. Many haven't seen you is that one. But yeah just like we are we quietly proud, but for me, it's more like, I want every single wrestling wrestling team to perform today. So there's an air of frustration as well, because we didn't just, it was not just the three of us, this is everybody Everybody's been performing for oh, the most or female. We're female. a small part of it, wrestlers are yeah. the big Yeah. And now they're winning the rewards of having WWs like this, because like I said, you know, now they're full-time. It's amazing. It's such a time to be involved. It's a great
0: time to be involved in wrestling. That sounds awesome all around, Gareth. So I it we yeah. had a good time then.
1: Definitely. A couple of other people came along. We had the honour and the privilege of British wrestling legends, that is Doug Williams. That was quite special. And then also Mark and Vicky Haskins. And finally, Paul Robinson. That man is an absolute psychopath.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll hear from those guys as we get to the matches along the way. The whole thing kicked off with... A big old pre-show Battle royal. There was a really good cast of characters in this one, shall we say.
1: There were a few surprise returns as well.
0: Indeed. We had Styx and RJ Singh come out. RJ got a really big pop.
1: Yeah, but I think a lot of murmurs on the internet had been asking for the man, the myth, the legend, Madman Manson.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And did you see him roll down the ramp as well?
1: Oh, there's always a place for comedy and wrestling in my heart. And, and yeah, that guy has slayed me every time he's been involved with progress.
0: <laughs> could you see much of what he had written on his skin and stuff?
1: We managed to get 4 4 seats, oh, so we were pretty close to the action. And we could make out a few bits and pieces, but it wasn't until obviously seeing the photographs on social media afterwards that you realise some of the utter nonsense that that man had scribbled on his body.
0: I've forgiven you, Elder Gero, bit was the one that got me. <laughs> so he wasn't the only entry here for last, though, as we also got the return of Inflatable Lycos.
1: Yes, we did. Lycos had to be in that show one way or another. He's a slippery customer, that Inflatable Lycos. They'll drop you on your head
0: and there's no two ways about it. I tell you what, his career sounds somewhat short-lived after what happened at the last IPW Frog and Bucket show, but at least he'll have this to go out on.
1: You'll always have Wembley.
0: <laughs> so, at the beginning of this, for some reason, everybody bullies Sid out over the top rope. I
1: don't quite know why that is. You look at the field and you've got guys like like Roy Johnson and Big T Justice in there. Surely they'd be targets, but I don't know. Maybe there's something, something about Sid
0: that's just made him unlikable. We then get Madman Manson fake out on a dive and eliminate himself. <laughs> And then even more fun with Inflatable Lycos going toe-to-toe with T.K. Cooper. Inflatable Lycos got tossed out, but then actual Lycos caught him before his feet could hit the floor and threw him back in. Told you. Slippery
1: customer, that Inflatable Lycos.
0: (laughs) Exactly. He falls victim to elimination at the second time of asking, though. And then Danny Duggan and Danny Jones try and suplex each other simultaneously and wind up both tumbling over the top rope.
1: The, cl- the clash of the Dannys.
0: I can only imagine it was like, you know, when you put two magnets pressed together with both of <laughs> them south sides facing. It's like two Dannys, they have to cancel each other out. <laughs> Spike Trude gets quite a run in this match. He gets to eliminate Styx and RJ. And then Ricky Shane Page as well, after... RSP absolutely manhandles the OJMO and Drew Parker out of the ring.
1: I popped huge for the Ricky Shane page, making his UK progress debut. That was great to see. And Drew Parker, God bless that man. I have no idea how he was even standing, let alone making it into his third match in three days after the absolute carnage that was death house 2.0 on friday night at project mayhem that was something to behold in terms of spike trevay he's a dangerous guy he's gonna have a big year next year in terms of character he's so easy to dislike but in terms of wrestling ability he seems to be growing and growing and he's more growing in the in the character and he's growing in himself. But then he's also got this vicious streak, which we saw in the, the death match that he's had with Jimmy Havoc and the NoDQ match he's had with Drew Parker as well. It gives him an edge.
0: Sometimes progress can wind up with these sort of vacuums of heels where... Basically, the fans have to invent their own heel because there's so many fan favourites going against each other sometimes, like what we've seen with Travis Banks. So I think Spike Trevay could be someone who could fill into that void. We get Chuck accidentally kicking Pastor William Eva out of the ring, which whittles us down to our final four of Chuck Mambo, TK Cooper, Spike Trevay and Chris Ridgeway. Chuck makes quick work of Ridgway and then somehow survives a TK Cooper headbutt, even though he's not Samoan, and head scissors him onto the apron, jumps back in and clotheslines him out, which makes TK do a 360 brah.
1: It was hard to watch the fandom there for me, seeing Chuck Mambo put in an inadvertent end to Sweet Jesus, but then, perhaps even more painfully, seeing him have to be the guy to put the nail in the coffin of his E-The-M-M9 TK Cooper. <laughs>
0: Chuck then winds up skinning the cap when Spike tried to throw him out and then flips him around to take him out over the top rope and win. So, big win for Chuck Mambo in 13 minutes and 25 seconds. Big thank you to Gadge at Gadget80 on Twitter for keeping time for all of these matches. Inoffensive, nice little bit of fun, get everyone on the show. Your typical pre-show match, basically.
1: Definitely got everyone going. I've mentioned before, I love how progress do storytelling and how poignant they can be sometimes. And for Mambo and Spike to be the two guys a year ago on the pre-show at Alexandra Palace, to be the last two guys left in the ring standing, it was nice to see that.
0: On to the main show. And we open, naturally, with Jim in the ring. And holy shit, that is a lot of noise in the crowd.
1: Hearing that amount of people go off. And Bay for a one-man to say that magic word.
0: (laughs) Yes, indeed. His unintentional catchphrase of, I am, gets a massive pop.
1: (laughs) I'm fully 100% in the camp of, I want Jim Smallman higher t-shirts. If Jim ever happens to listen to this, it just has to be done.
0: The thing as well about this is, usually when Progress debut in a new venue, I'm very much used to struggling to hear Jim. He is crystal clear here tonight.
1: Yeah, and I think that's probably testament to the fact that the venue that they're running in, somewhere like Wembley Arena, I know a lot of the equipment will be brought in themselves, but you'd imagine they've got a pretty good sound system in a place like that.
0: Mm. It basically praises all of the wrestlers and the fans, and does his usual, have you been to Progress before shtick, which gets a massive cheer. It's going to be a pretty expensive round for the newbies, I think.
1: Definitely. It was not just London prices, London arena prices.
0: <laughs> make sure you get your mortgage sorted out before you attend one of these shows, definitely.
1: <laughs> yes, it was, uh, it was not a day for it to be your round.
0: <laughs> He's also full of praise for the band who played them out at the opening of the show, so didn't make the video on demand. They're called Wars, was it?
1: Wars, yes. They went down pretty well. It was the right feel for the show. And I know, sort of, from watching a lot of NXT shows where they occasionally have bands on takeover events and stuff, it had a similar kind of feel to that. And it, it was very much in keeping with the sort of feeling of progress.
0: One thing that never changes, though, is Chris Roberts getting booed to high heaven and getting called a cheeseboard wanker.
1: Well, if you, when you pick Baby Bell, you have to take what's coming your way, I'm afraid. What's your favourite cheese, Duncan? Brie. Solid choice yourself i think i'm gonna go for mozzarella
0: oh yes yeah, very adaptable so our opening contest at the main show sees mark haskins accompanied with vicky haskins taking on matt riddle in riddle's final appearance as an independent pro wrestler mark was quite vocal in the run-up to this match about how much of the attention was on riddle and, you know, how his name wasn't even mentioned on the WWE.com article on this match. So we'll hear from him, basically getting over his frustrations. You know, when uh, the main event didn't happen, it didn't really, like, there was Sorry. only one other possible position I could possibly go to and that's
2: taken on arguably uh, the hottest prospect in the world right now, which is Riddle. And, uh, I think the guy's great, I think the guy's awesome, but it genuinely does point one guess. Like, all that people are talking about going into this match is that it's his last indie match, you know I mean? Like okay. I said, like I said something online a few days ago, I'm not a fucking plus one. Do you know what I mean? This isn't just Matt Riddle plus one in the ring, do you know what I mean? This isn't a Matt Riddle show. This is two of the best wrestlers in the entire world going at it. Do you know what I mean? We are both angry dudes who just want to get in there and get into a fucking scrap. And that's what tonight is gonna to be.
0: And also from Vicky about what it's like to manage her husband.
2: I feel sorry for the person in there with him. I train with him as well. Um uh... We uh, together And I know I mean, he's light on me as well Because he likes me But um, He's vicious Like I call him My little pocket rocket Because okay Yeah he's small But this guy can go So for me It's like I get excited Because I'm like Right this is time For you to prove yourself And I know what we can do And tonight is going to be incredible
0: the only going to this see them trading holds of each other, including some pretty cool armbar attempts by Riddle. Then they start trading leg kicks before Riddle hits a Pele. Haskins then fakes a dive on one side of the ring, but scores it from the other, and is then able to block Riddle's kicks on the apron into a leg bar in the ropes. There's some great evasive work on the apron from Riddle, which leads to him hitting the senton into Haskins into the apron. And then Riddle gets a good spell in this match, hitting the German suplex, walloping Haskins with a forearm, and then getting his sent on for two. He always gets such great height on that thing.
1: The thing about Matt Riddle is the guy is an absolute athlete. He's an absolute specimen of a human being. And we've been fortunate enough, I think, to get him as long as we have on the independent scene before the inevitable happened and and someone took the chance on him. I say take a chance. I've no doubt in my mind he's going to be an absolute stormy success.
0: Yeah, and I think out of all the imports, he got the sort of communal nature of the promotion as well as anyone I've ever seen, really.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it speaks volumes of how well the fans embraced him. The fact that by the end of it, Matt Riddle was thought of as a progress guy not an import, shows, I think, how highly he was thought of.
0: Haskins is able to hit his sit-out Death Valley Driver for a near fall, and locks in the sharpshooter, but gets muscled off, bounced into the ropes, and directly into the Fisherman's Buster. And then Riddle follows up with a Gotch tombstone that somehow only gets two.
1: That looked like it was it. Matt Riddle's used the tombstone before to great effect, but... This would look particularly savage after coming off such a huge Fisherman's Buster as well.
0: Very much used to the whole gotch grip being such a really big deal in wrestling. Like whenever Jerry Lynn would try and bring it back out in promotions where even regular pile drivers was banned and that kind of thing. We get some pretty nervy looking moments up on the top. I thought someone was going to have a really nasty spill there, but Haskins eventually gets his superplex off. Riddle is able to scoop him up for a powerbomb, but the bro to sleep gets countered into a destroyer. The double stomp is then Haskins' follow up, which gets a near fall, and then he turns the kick out immediately into the cattle mutilation. Riddle eventually escapes and goes for some more knees to the face, but his rip card gets countered into a pump handle pile driver, aka the Maiden Malvern, to get Haskins the win after 17 minutes and 16 seconds. What did you make to the match, Gareth?
1: Great opening match. Back and forth between both guys. Super, super happy for Haskins that he got that got the win under his belt. It was interesting, say a year on from Alexandra Palace, where it's where we kind of saw the start of the Vicky Haskins character that we have now, where she emerged and handed that barbed wire back to Mark. So here we are a year on. What kind of impact do you think that she's had on Mark's career in the last year?
0: I think this is a shining example of it, really, uh, now that, you know, the whole entropy alliance kind of folded and Mark's getting back into the singles field. So you got him here beating another mainstay of progress, really, and getting back out of there and... Yeah, like this was the right result of this match. bolds really well for Mark's future. Uh, we're going to hear a clip of him now talking about his future at the presser. Always onwards and upwards. Do you know what I mean?
2: Like, um, I didn't expect wrestling to be uh, where it is now. Like in, in regards to British wrestling, like the fact that today we are doing like you know Rembley, like that's insane. Like, um, I didn't expect to be where I'm at now. Like two years ago, I and mean, then you know like, the next year, or the next two years, who knows where that's going to take. Me.
0: Yeah, this was really solid work all around, really. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a bit of a atypical opener. The pace was a little bit deliberate, but they still kept everyone invested, so job done, really.
1: Yeah, definitely. As you say, we heard from Haskins saying how it boiled his piss that people had been writing him off. Do you think that Riddle perhaps overlooked Haskins in that match?
0: Possibly, yeah. I mean, he's already on the NXT circuit. So I I think Riddle probably could have been more invested in the whole occasion. Mark was more there thinking about his business, really, and where he needs to go within the promotion.
1: Yeah, it felt like a celebration for Riddle, but Haskins was there to, to prove a point. To go back to Riddle... As fans of, of NXT, who are you looking forward to to seeing Riddle get his hands on?
0: Well, I'm liking all of the teases of Cassius wanting a piece of him. I really like Cassius Ono being this sort of gatekeeper type character.
1: Yeah, I'm totally on board with that. I can say Cassius is an outstanding, outstanding performer. But I think for me, when I think of looking down the line and seeing who I want to see Matt Riddle go one-on-one with, absolute monster clash that will be Riddle and Keith Lee just absolutely has me salivating at the thought of that and the thought of the hype and the build around a potential Velveteen Dream Matt Riddle match is something that I'm definitely looking forward to seeing.
0: Match number two is a triple threat match for the Progress Women's Championship. The champion Ginny, accompanied by her House of Couture, taking on Millie McKenzie and Tony Storm. So there's lots of brawling at the start of this one and a nice swinging net breaker by Millie. Both Tony and Ginny wind up blocking her suplexes, though, so no suplex Millie just yet.
1: Got a belt to build that, bad boy.
0: <laughs> the House of Couture then surround the ring, which allows Ginny to hit the Acid Rainmaker onto both of her challenges at once.
1: I don't know. I love the Acid Rainmaker, but... When it's done for two people at the same time, I feel like you lose something. I feel like you, use, you lose that momentum, which is possibly why Ginny didn't get the chance to put them away at that point.
0: Mm. Tony then Germans Ginny, only to get speared by Millie, and then Millie in turn gets arm dragged into the turnbuckles by Ginny. Out come Laura Di Mateo, and Candy Floss to try and even the odds with this Orville House of Couture shenanigans. And then we finally get suplex Millie in session, including a double suplex to both of her opponents.
1: Yeah, it's quite impressive to see that. And when you take a step back and think about it and someone of Millie's young age already getting the opportunities that she is to be at Wembley Arena, to now go off and do a tour of Japan, just how far do we think someone like Millie McKenzie can go in this industry?
0: I don't know what it is about all these Midlands people putting everyone in the ring so early.
1: I think it's an absolute credit to the Fight Club Pro Training Academy. The amount of talent that seems to be coming out of there, but not just the way it's coming out, the way that they seem to almost own their talent. And when you've had people like Millie and Omari breaking out, They've been the guys that have used them and pushed them and looked after them. And I think it's a combination of excellent training from people like Travis Banks and having a promoter like Martin Zaki to put an arm around people and, and keep it real and keep them level-headed.
0: Continuing the theme of people taking out both of their opponents at once, Ginny does a flatlining into the buckles to both of her challenges and then a basement drop kicking to both of them. And then Tony winds up hitting hip attacks on everyone. Holy shit, pile driver on the apron to Millie by Tony.
1: No good way to take a pile driver on the apron.
0: Tuck your head and pray for the best and pray you wind up on their thighs more than on that apron. Definitely. The style clash gets countered into the reverse net breaker drop, which gets Tony a near fall. And then she pile drives Ginny, which cues a big standoff between Candy, Laura and House of Couture. But then Laura nails Candy out of nowhere, hits the Rainmaker on Tony and pops Ginny on top of her, which gets Ginny the free count. And she retains her title in eight minutes, 28 seconds.
1: Oh, yeah. As far as the end of that match goes, I wasn't expecting it to end up that way more kudos to progress for keeping us guessing I guess about which way the things are going to go and I mean my personal feeling the house of couture is it's a great idea in terms of getting this sort of strong heel women stable together it's something that's new or feels new in terms of progress but I'm starting to to wonder are they getting too many numbers in that group realistically, who's going to be able to step up now to face the House of Couture?
0: That's the problem a lot of people have had with this, that I've talked to, really. There's a lot of talent there that are just there to be Ginny's lackeys. And you kind of hope that through this you'd get, okay, they're going to be the people who are kind of softening up Ginny's challenges and trying to keep them lower down the scene so they get an undercard match with other people in the division while Ginny defends a title and really that very rarely happens and we just get everyone dumped into one match anyway.
1: Yeah and I mean when you talk about Ginny's lackeys going out and doing her work and trying to weed out challenges for her, Ginny was let down quite a lot in the build-up to this show from people in the House of Couture not getting the victories that Ginny really needed, people like Charlie Morgan losing to Tony Storm, and other people that have sort of effectively ended up in a situation where Ginny had not one but two challengers from this show because of the gatekeeping that couldn't be maintained. I feel in some aspects she might be feeling a little bit let down And now that she's got Laura back by her side, someone who you'd assume from past history maybe she feels she can trust, does that put other people in the House of Couture, does that put their positions under threat?
0: Yeah, I think I've seen a lot of speculation on this, particularly from one specific tweet from Ginny that seemed to indicate the rest of her charges. Their days might be numbered.
1: We'll have to wait and see, but... Positions in the House to Couture I don't think are taken for granted anymore. They have to be earned.
0: The follow-up is definitely going to be important. I'm going to be interested to see how they justify Laura coming back because there's a lot of character work that's essentially been undone by this. But I'm sure she's going to have her reasons.
1: That's the problem with heels. You don't always get the reasons why.
0: Yeah. I was kinda of disappointed in this match to be honest. They didn't really get enough time to reach their full potential. There's a bit too much brawling. It's quite nice how like you have the symmetry of the whole three way thing, like everyone has to focus on both of their opponents at once, so there's very rarely the whole oh one person slides out and it's a singles match now. So there was that aspect to it. But I mean we're gonna see. This is the only match that didn't reach double figures in terms of the run time. I personally think you could have knocked say five minutes off that opening match and added it onto the end of this one. You could have had something a fair bit better.
1: Potentially, yeah. But at the same time, the match felt like it served its purpose. It didn't. I didn't feel like the girls weren't given a chance. To shine, I feel that they told the story very well. I'm definitely, definitely interested to see where this goes from here.
0: After the five members of House of Couture stand all over everyone, out comes, out of nowhere, Jordan, Grace, and I am fucking out for this. The OG House of Couture members get thrown to the wolves by Ginny and Laura, and Jordan absolutely bodies them all.
1: And then, when they cut away... And you see Ginny and Laura scarpering away in the crowd. See that look of horror on Laura's face. Because Laura knows that in this new situation she finds herself in at the House of Couture, as we've just touched on, she is now one of Ginny's lackeys. Which means that before Jordan Grace gets her hands on Ginny, she's got to go through everyone else in the House of Couture. And that includes Laura.
0: I immediately regret this decision.
1: Anyone would immediately regret that decision. We're face-to-face with a woman like Jordan Grace who is going to absolutely doll the large portion of the Progress Wrestling Women's Division. I cannot wait to see her get her hands on people.
0: Absolutely super amped to see her. She's awesome. Like I liked her before I'd even seen her wrestle, just from like her manner on Twitter. And I'd only seen her in GIFs until All In. And then, lo and behold, I found there's a whole bunch of her matches free online from Beyond Wrestling. Yeah, she's going to be sensational. Our third match of the evening is the Atlas Championship match. Doug Williams putting his career on the line to defend his title against Trent Seven. And Doug, of course, being the big veteran of the group... Asked a lot about the growth that we've seen in the British wrestling scene in order to get to this point in the pre show press pack.
2: I mean, this kind of shows that the talent is there, you know, the business is there, the support is there by the fans, and I mean, it's an amazing experience an amazing feeling for me. I get in front of all those fans, but for the whole of British wrestling and all the other talent that are involved, it's especially you can't. Any more words than that, really. When I started, this was getting the ultimately, you know. It was hanging on by, you know, by his fingertips at the edge of a big you know. His claw
0: and going back onto the top, and he's running up the mountain. Maybe it's just the entrance music being his NXT music, but I immediately feel like we've got fired the fuck up. NXT Trent tonight as opposed to have a laugh Trent Seven.
1: Yeah, definitely. This was a Trent Seven who was out to prove a point, but not just prove a point in terms of being serious and handling the big occasion. It was a measure of respect to the man that he was facing, that he was all business tonight.
0: We get a really cautious start to this match. As Matt Richards on commentary puts over the ideological differences both men. Matt Richards is my favourite broadcaster in independent wrestling, I think.
1: He's so good. He can do everything in terms of he can sell you in a match and, and make you buy into what he's telling you, but then at the same time you get the ridiculousness of the 1978 show as well.
0: I'm still pretty pissed that Progress put up a version of that show with no commentary, because... They assume people would rather sit in silence than put up with someone actually being Northern. (laughs) Naturally, Trent misses his crossbody.
1: As they touched on in commentary, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. There's one result that's always the same. That's Trent's ever missing a crossbody.
0: He comes back with some chops and a fake out into the DDT. Doug, with a really nice touch, he kicked Trent's groin into the second rope and then followed it up straight away with an inverted atomic drop. Doug goes on a run with a belly-to-belly suplex, top rope uppercut, and an exploder suplex into the corner, which gets a near fall. The Chaos Theory is blocked into a dragon suplex and pile driver by Trent for two. Thankfully, Doug is able to escape the burning hammer and connects with the Chaos Theory, but Trent kicks out.
1: You can see Trent Seven's eyes roll in the back of his head. That guy is out. I have no idea where that guy got the strength from to kick out.
0: <laughs> There's lots of things that roll when you hit a Chaos Theory. <laughs> <laughs> True that. Once again, Doug thankfully escapes a pile driver off the top rope and is able to power bomb and pile drive Trent, and Trent's still able to kick out. And then, holy shit, we get Trent hitting the burning hammer on Doug, and somehow Doug kicks out.
1: At that point, I thought that was it. Doug has to be the first person that's kicked out of Trent's burning hammer.
0: Doug's able to stand his ground from the seven-star lariat and gets a near-perfect Chaos Theory that still somehow only gets a two-count.
1: There's so many times in this match that you think, that has to be it. I mean, when Trent hit the pile driver, Doug hit the first Chaos Theory, Burning Hammer, second Chaos Theory, all these big, big moves being thrown at each other and he just leaves you wondering, what is it going to take to put the other man away?
0: Which brings us to the finish, where Trent is able to escape Doug's clutches and actually hit a cross body, which surprises Doug for the freak out. Trent is your new champion in 14 minutes, 16 seconds.
1: If I was not there myself in the flesh, I would not believe you if you told me that Trent 7 hit a cross body.
0: I suppose it just justifies why he's been going for it this whole time if it's deadly enough to fin- actually finish someone off.
1: To literally finish someone off, to finish a man's career. It's the crossbody heard around the world.
0: I thought this match did a really, really good job of like building on the investment. And, you know, commentary would talk about all Doug's injuries and the, the build-up in his arm and stuff. And you'd see him be put in these situations, like with some of the moves that Trent was going to attempt on him. And you just felt like, oh, please, don't, don't do this, don't do this, you know. Yeah, it was a really creditable performance by Doug especially.
1: Being sat there in the crowd, there were a lot of people on Doug's side for the match. Well, I'd say the majority of the crowd were on Doug's side. And it's not a slight on Trent Seven, because Trent's obviously a massive, massive fan favourite. It's just people love and respect Doug that much that they didn't want to see it come to an end. But unfortunately, as they say, isn't it? All, all good things must eventually, unfortunately, come to an end.
0: Yeah, and it's quite a way to go out. Really, the biggest show in English independent wrestling. Very nice sort of curtain call for Doug.
1: Yeah, when you look back, what's your what's your favourite memory of of Doug Williams? What's going to stand out for you?
0: I first encountered him through TNA in two thousand uh, and ten and two thousand and nine, like when he was in the British Invasion, and he, he just immediately came up like a total pro. Like he did everything so well, and yeah, it's just so nice to have this ambassador for our scene, even all the way back then, and to see him come back as well and go back to the independent scene, challenge Jimmy Havoc for the Progress title. It's, he's given so much to the community and to everyone involved in independent wrestling.
1: Yeah, definitely. I would say I remember, as you said, that was my first encounter with, with watching Doug was watching him teaming with Magnus in, in in TNA. Personal highlight when I look back at Doug will be when he finally got that big win and won the Atlas title at that Victoria Warehouse show in Manchester. There. That was something special.
0: That was such a nice moment, yeah, and you, you can feel it in the crowd. You can feel it here as well, at this show, the reception that he got post-match as Trent raises his arm and he leaves the ring, and practically the whole roster comes out on the ramp and applauds him. It's, such a nice moment.
1: How do you have a heart of stone to say it's not thoroughly deserved? Absolutely. Coming away from this match, who do you see as being lined up for an Atlas title shot against the new champion Trent Seven?
0: I would really love to see some of these people with NSC UK deals come back a bit more. like People like Mastiff and... Wolfgang, like the the proper big big lads, because we've seen them stretch the credulity of this division with the whole LOL, Joseph Connors is a superweight thing, <laughs> and TK, I, I, I could buy TK as an Atlas Division guy just about, but yeah, I'd like to get back to proper chunky big lads wrestling and see what Trent can do with those guys
1: Yeah, if we're talking big lads wrestling, I don't think that my sides would be able to cope with seeing Trent Seven go one on one with Los Federales Super Santos Jr. <laughs> that is my new Atlas Dream match to see those guys go at it.
0: Okay, so next we get a recap of the Jimmy Havoc Will Ospreay 2 out of 3 Falls death match. Look brutal from these clips.
1: We were at the ballroom for that show, and it was incredible. I was so, so hyped for the match. I mean, Will Ospreay is arguably the most athletically gifted man that's come out of British wrestling. And then you've got Jimmy Havoc, who is just a grade-A lunatic, and we love him for
0: it. (laughs) That's a very good way of putting it. Paul Robinson was the special guest referee of this match, and he double-crossed Jimmy at the end... And we get Paul explaining how he felt very overlooked by the fact that Jimmy put all the blame on Osprey for his hiatus when Paul was the one who beat him in his final match before he had to go away and rehab his knee and stuff.
1: For a lot of people, when you look back at Progress history, that match at Chapter 21, Paul Robinson, Jimmy Havoc, it's one of THE Progress matches. When you want to show someone... Progress Wrestling, a lot of people, the first match that they would go to to show someone is that Jimmy Havoc-Paul Robinson match.
0: Yeah, it totally came out of nowhere for me because the extent that they took things to, man, it was just so crazy.
1: It was definitely a case of Mr Havoc leaving with a ban and as uh, as he rightly claims, it was Paul Paul Robinson putting him there.
0: And that led to... The challenge be made for this next match our fourth of the evening no disqualification grudge match with paul robinson taking on jimmy havoc robinson got the chance to talk about how it takes something of this magnitude to bring him back in the presser so we're going to hear a little bit from him there i was
2: actually doing what i was doing and then it picks up on the jimmy havoc show and it's always about jimmy havoc all uh, australia and i just get enough of it why 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 is it cool always back there why is it always will will stop Jimmy Habbard? No, 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 Will took the belt. I ended Jimmy See So I mean, that is it. There's no one there's no one else out had a part in it. It was me. I, I, I was by his side for a long, long time. I made sure he held my uh, the down. I helped him out. And then all of a sudden I was the one that stepped up. And he's saying he's saying Paul's coming back, he's gonna stop Jimmy Habbett, when he's gone again. I'm back, and I'm back for fights. Right? I've been given a second chance second chance I did not know I was going to get. I'm taking it with both hands
0: and I'm running. If you couldn't do Osprey and Havoc in this arena, then this is the kind of full circle moment that you want for the promotion, really. This is your next best option.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was disappointing to lose Will and and Zach in the run-up to the show. But I think in some ways it was more poetic that the end of Osprey and Havoc happened in the ballroom. That was where it started. That was where, obviously, the end of the long title chase for Will came to an end. It was where the fans bring the Repwins lose a leave town match happened. I think the ballroom was the correct place for the end of that saga. I
0: noticed Paz is... Already in his gloves at the start of this match. That is a wise decision, my friend.
1: Yes, 100%.
0: Jimmy's look for this match is certainly something.
1: That moment when he comes out, when you sat you sat there in anticipation, waiting for Jimmy Havoc to come out for a death match on the big stage, and you almost kind of take it for granted. Jimmy's going to be wearing white. Then Jimmy comes out, and Jimmy is white immediately this wave flows over you and you're like what the hell am i about to see
0: i think it's a reference to some season of american horror story i can't think which one but that like the face makeup that is everywhere all over one of those seasons at least
1: i thought it might have been a nod to the misfits maybe but who knows with jimmy there's so many different influences
0: Jimmy begins this match by leaving his axe in the middle of the ring to bait Robinson in to an immediate acid rainmaker and he doesn't even bother going for the cover. Right away, bam, putting Robinson in his place, knowing what he has to expect for this match.
1: It kind of gave you a taste of what you were in for, that he's hit Robinson with his best shot and that was just a
0: warm-up. Two matches that you wouldn't expect to hear in the same breath but it made me think of the first brock and roman match brock and f5 super super early on there's like right there you behave now i'm gonna maul you about
1: yeah i can see those comparisons
0: the first thing jimmy finds to attack paul with is a doll yep
1: apparently those are things that we now use in death matches
0: <laughs> oh my gosh he then no-sells a frying pan to the head, but winds up getting backdropped on the floor. And then we get a power bomb into an ironing board. Robo gets on the offence with barbed wire baseball bat, and then staples one of his t-shirts to Jimmy Havoc.
1: Yeah, well, that's what happens, isn't it? You go to a big arena show, the merchandise is pinned up on the wall for everyone to see. So Paul Robinson's just try- just trying to make a few quid, isn't he? He's just trying to sell those T-shirts.
0: <laughs> He's trying to make up for the fact that the Wembley staff themselves had to handle the merchandise. <laughs> Another frying pan shot is no sold, and then Jimmy wallops Rabo with the frying pan and Death Valley drives him into the door. And then out come the light tubes.
1: So many, many light tubes.
0: (laughs) The first one gets broken over Jimmy's head and then scraped across his back. Hat comes back with uh, Death Valley Driver onto the drawing pins for a near fall. And then he headbutts a light tube into Robinson's face and cracks another one over his back. Robinson recovers in time to send Jimmy off the top through some light tubes and then sent on him into some more of them and then to curb-stomp him into the thumbtacks, just like at the previous chapter, to get another near-fall.
1: That senton from Paul Robinson, it did more damage to himself than it did to Jimmy. I think it just showed how determined he was to try and put an end to him, but the state of that man's back after he hit that senton was absolutely horrific. And I mean, sometimes a guy in a match gets a cut and and the blood sort of starts and builds, but as soon as Robinson stands up, his back is just washed with crimson. I mean, there were people who went to the show that commented that this match was perhaps a bit too much for them. I mean, when deathmatch wrestling is done well, it's exceptional. It makes you feel things. It keeps you on the edge of your seat. And I think this one was particularly violent in places, but at the same time, it didn't feel like... It was done for the sake of doing it. It was two men telling a story that had this blood feud that needed to be settled, and it was going to be settled on that stage in the most brutal way that they could.
0: A literal blood feud, yes. Paul sets up one of the light tubes in between a pair of chairs only to eat the acid rainmaker, get curb stomped through the light tube, and then it's another acid rainmaker, and that finishes it to get Jimmy the win in thirteen minutes fifty-one seconds. Like you said earlier, this, like, as a storytelling match, was really, really good. All the callbacks really helped things. i say sometimes this style of match they can all sort of bleed together, but they picked their moments and the particular things to call back to, and yeah, it was just a really good match.
1: Yeah, very fitting end for Jimmy to hit that curb stomp through the light tubes. Obviously, they call him back to the finish that put him out in that match in Chapter 21. For that to be ultimately what led to the downfall of Paul Robinson in this matchup.
0: Yeah, and Robinson it didn't look like he missed a beat, really. It was a really nicely paced match.
1: Yeah, and Robinson as well, in terms of a guy who's not been wrestling as much for for an extended period now. Guy was in ridiculous shape. He was absolutely shredded.
0: So that'll take us to intermission, which means it's half-time question time. What wrestling have you been enjoying other than the Wembley show recently?
1: As I touched on before, we did the Project Mayhem shows on the weekend of Wembley. Those were pretty great. The Death House match was insane. I've never seen anything like that before in my life. The whole feel of the reveal of this just sort of underground fight club, for lack of a better expression, Fight Club Pro, in terms of me and you, holds something quite special because it was the first, the Manchester Tag Team Invitational Tournament last year was where we first met each other and, and got talking. But in some aspects of it, you have to make the trip to Wolverhampton to understand it. It's when you get that feeling of the atmosphere and the camaraderie when you're in a dingy warehouse. In an industrial state estate in Wolverhampton, where these ridiculous matches happen, that's when it feels like it's something special happening.
0: I guess that's what their touring shows all kind of miss, really, this whole... Oh, yeah, by the way, there's another ring over there. We're going to have a death match now. Okay, enjoy it. Like, I love that whole gimmick of the reveal and stuff.
1: Yeah, uh, the, I, I guess it's kind of... You can move the promotion, you can't move the location. So they can't they can't take those warehouses around around the country. With them. When you when you put on an event in a student union, yeah, it's probably not going to be the same as it is in an emptied out warehouse for sure. To so go back and say touch on Defiant, uh, the show they did in Sheffield at the Plug yesterday, yeah, it was a really good show overall. But outstanding matches have to go to El Fantasmo versus Will Ospreay absolutely outstanding two fantastic gifted guys just going at it Fantasmo is is on the rise it's another guy I'm expecting to have a good year next year I'm hoping, praying that ELP is one of the guys who makes it into the natural progression series for progress next year
0: His couple of appearances he's had so far, I've been pretty impressed with him in general. I'd love to see more of him. I've been really enjoying the new May Young Classic tournament, seeing the full cast of characters in this tournament. They've got an even better, more diverse, more well-rounded feel this year. And it's been so nice to see all these new faces and... The faces from the previous year who had grown so well. Like the Karen Q and Xia Lee match was a particular highlight for me. Yeah, just the different kind of styles that you get in each show with each matchup.
1: I'm looking forward to finally get to see Tegan Knox having a crack at it, but it in some ways it's like one of those movies where you know eventually it's gonna have a bit of a sad ending. But the journey to get you there is is still there to be enjoyed in some aspects.
0: We're back from intermission with Jim giving us the official attendance for the evening. 4,750 people.
1: That is a lot, a lot of people for an independent wrestling
0: show. That's really good going. If you think about two years ago, their record attendance was about half that. Yeah, super impressive. They officially announced that Alexandra Palace will once again host the Super Strong Style 16 tournament next year. Which brings out Travis Banks, who gets to announce that he's entering the tournament. Ooh. So <laughs> <laughs> I love my Kiwi big dog. <laughs> Kick I out mean, at one, walk out at ten.
1: You can't help but be impressed when Trav changed in that matchup against Flash. I could not believe what I was seeing, and I absolutely loved him for it.
0: It's magic. It's nice to get him out in front of this crowd whilst he's still injured. Yeah,
1: definitely. Who would you like to see entering into the Strong Style 16 tournament next year? If you could pick one guy, who are you thinking?
0: A homegrown... Person, but like outside of progress, so maybe someone like Omari, who yeah. hasn't really been involved since he got eliminated from the Natural Progression series. I
1: think there's definitely more to come from, from someone like Omari. For me personally, given the history that he has with progress and the working relationship that they, they seem to have almost with WWE, I'd like to see Noam Dar. I think in the top tournament next year.
0: Yeah, uh, you, like, who knows what kind of favour they might get out of it? They tend to do well with getting people on loan. Like with, with Cassius being in this year's one, that was something I wasn't quite expecting.
1: It was amazing to see, and it just that's what then gives you that. Who knows what's possible? Never, never say never. Kind of of attitude.
0: Well, speaking of people coming in for big shows, our first match back for the interval, fifth of the evening, is the Thunderbastard Progress Tag Team Title match, and of course the champions Flamita and Bandito surprise entrance into this series, having wound up as tag team champions on the coast to coast tour.
1: Yeah, they're obviously super, super talented guys. The whole situation that went on on the, the US tour with with Lycos was. Super upsetting, but worked out to the advantage of the Progress fans and getting to see Flamita and Bandino in a Progress ring.
0: I very much hope Lycass' prediction that he comes out on top of the PWI 100 of injured wrestlers comes (laughs) through.
1: Well... He's definitely in the PWI 500 inflatable wrestlers.
0: <laughs> That's true. So for those of you who haven't seen a Thunderbastard match, two teams are going to start. Elimination occurs by pinfall submission, and every two minutes a new team enters. The two teams starting this match are the champions, Formita and Bandido, and Sexy Star, the team of Jack Sacksmith and David Starr. And immediately there's a lot going on in this match. Flamita has a bit of a perv over Jack, which gets David Starr pretty angry.
1: It's a couple goals, isn't it? You just need to find someone in your life that kisses you the way that David Starr kisses Jack Sexsmith.
0: The Champions double teams are so good. Just blistering, exciting offence.
1: Everything that we got from Flamita and Bandido was full for all. Some ridiculous spots throughout the match, uh, as I'm sure you'll get to. It was special to get to see those guys.
0: Well, the next team out are Eminem, Mills and Mayhew, and they are particularly good working with the champions. Just gold together. Stupendous double springboard arm drag by Mayhew, especially.
1: When I look at Mayhew, the kid has got so much potential. I look at him and... I can't think of many young kids to his age that excite me as much as he does in terms of where he could potentially go.
0: The sky's the limit for these guys. Next team out are Aussie Open. Following then, we get the anti fun police come out, and they've got some pretty flash new gear, but thankfully Chief Deputy Dunn still has no fun on his dick.
1: And for some reason sunglasses on his ass. <laughs>
0: His future is so bright, his, the sunshine is out of his ass.
1: <laughs> Some news came out today about Santos, literally five minutes before going out to this match, damaged his plantar tendon, which I had to Google because I had no idea what a plantar tendon was. And it's effectively part of the ball of your foot that connects to your toes. To knacker that five minutes before going out to the biggest match of your career and still be able to put in the shift that that man did speaks absolute volumes
0: I'm even more impressed with him now he does the no fun gun to the champions but they no sell it and then he gets taken out with some strikes and he does the timber bump just as Bandido's shooting him (laughs) the next team out are the grizzled young veterans who walk
1: out through the crowd (laughs) This man! This man!
0: Boo!
1: Everyone's favourite banana-throwing kinder egg enthusiasts.
0: (laughs) They have a great little CM Punk in the 2010 Royal Rumble-style routine where Gimel's taking so long to do his intro that he gets interrupted twice. They do a cheeky counter to a satellite DDT attempt by Mills and Mayhew and hit the ticket to Mayhem to eliminate them. Just as next team, the Calamari Thatch Kings, come out.
1: A lot of people in the arena genuinely, genuinely missed the elimination of Eminem after the Thatch Kings made their entrance and Jim Smallman announced Eminem had been eliminated. I think a lot of people got caught by surprise.
0: We get a great series of suplexes by Thatcher, but then out comes the final team of the match, the 198. Santos hits a spin wheel kick. Probably with his busted foot, and then get slapped down by Thatcher.
1: More Thatcher in progress, please. I so say, as unfortunate as the injury is for Lycos, to see this this odd couple pairing of Brooks and Thatcher has been great, great fun. Wrestling-wise, has been absolutely outstanding.
0: I think it could be a good Atlas Sky for Trent. Oh,
1: definitely,
0: yeah. Wild Boar hits the Rikishi driver on Jack to eliminate Sexy Star. And then we get an absolutely insane period of dives to the outside. Brooks takes the 198 out with a double helo. Then Grizzle Young Veterans do a dive. Then Fletcher hits a big step-up helo onto the pile. And then Santos does a suicide dive, which I lost my mind seeing. On one foot. (laughs) Then we get a massive assisted helo by Flamita and then to cap it all off Bandito with the moonsault power slam press onto Dunn onto the rest of the pile holy shit
1: holy shit indeed absolute
0: ridiculousness while Borg then back in the ring hits a trapper keeper on Dunn to eliminate the anti Phone police Brooks then suffers the close your eyes by Davis to eliminate the calamari thatch kings Borg then accidentally spears referee Chris Roberts which allows them to sneak a helmet shot to save Webster and eliminate the tag team champions. But then, out of nowhere, the Aussies hit the f- fidget spinner to flash and the 198 are eliminated. I was totally taken aback by this.
1: Definitely seemed to come out of nowhere, but at the same time, cheaters don't prosper. That's the story here.
0: Absolutely. So now we're down to the Grizzle Young Veterans and Aussie Open. And Gibson kicks out of the fidget spinner. Again, shocker.
1: Massive shock.
0: GYV send Davis into the steps and tried to isolate Fletcher. He winds up eating a ticket to ride, the Helter Skelter and a 450 by Mr. Mayhem, but still manages to kick out. Davis is then able to come back. And the super fidget spinner finally gets the Aussies the win and the tag team titles after 31 minutes and 22 seconds Of really, really good action. This is great stuff.
1: Yeah, the crowd were super into the match the whole way. And when the RCs got the win, the whole place went mental. You've got two guys here. I'm yet to see them have bad matches. As far as a tag team can go, for a long time now, they've been one of those ones to watch. And it's so, so pleasing to see them get that nod and get that acknowledgement on the stage that they did.
0: Yeah, this is a nice surprise to me. I thought this was a nailed on one nine eight win. But as far as the whole match goes, Flamita and Bandido were fantastic. I'd love to see more of them. In progress, and everyone played their role so well in this match. There was not one team that I came out of this match thinking, oh, I'd rather not see as much of them next time around. Like, it showcased everyone in the division so well.
1: Yeah, definitely. As you say, you were expecting the 198 to win that match. It looked as though Aussie Open themselves were almost half expecting the 198 to win that match, and quite a very, very fitting way that at the end of this long Thunderbastard series, it's Aussie Open and Grizzled Young Veterans and the two teams left standing and Aussie Open going on to be new Progress Tag Team Champions.
0: I think they'd be the pairing to draw to as far as the, some immediate challenges for Aussie Open.
1: But again, I think front runners have to be the 198. They've already got a victory over, over Aussie Open. If you're going on sort of New Japan logic, when you have tournaments like the G1 and champions take losses in that tournament, then it's usually the people they take the losses against that get the shots at those titles.
0: Progress-like a thriller of the Chase style things, so they'd long-term be the people I expect to end up with the titles. Next up, we get the video package for the European Dream match of Pete vs. Ilya, which recaps Christian Michael Jacobi Calling Pete an overrated backyarder, and then we see the Brawl the Oberhausen show. Jacoby, he
1: had to barter and almost provoke Pete Dunne into getting this match because right now, Pete Dunne is not a man who needs to prove himself to anyone. His success speaks for itself. But CMJ had to get that match to prove Ilya's stock to prove that Elia holds that place that he claims that he holds in the top table of European wrestling.
0: Yeah, and I think they talked it through on commentary as well that maybe this was just as much about CMJ going out something to prove as well because he takes such pride in his track record. Like you talk about the people he's worked with in the past. I don't think he wanted to be wrong, seen as wrong about Pete Dunne, so he wanted... Ilya to come out on top saying, "No, oh, I told you so.
1: Yeah, definitely. He seems a, a very proud man and not someone who wanted to be proved wrong. What a price fighter in a guy like Ilya Dragunov to send into battle for you.
0: Were you quite familiar with him going into this match?
1: I would have liked to have been more familiar with Ilya Dragunov going into, uh, going into <laughs> this match.
0: You'd like to be more familiar with Ilya.
1: <laughs> yeah, I realise how that sounds as I was saying it, but, uh, but at the same time, it almost added this mystique to a man that you may not have seen a lot of him if you're not really following WXW, but his reputation is known. I understood the magnitude that this was going to be one to watch.
0: Yeah, I think it's a very difficult balancing act that they had here of building up this guy as this big match wrestler, but still keeping it so that his actual debut comes at the big show. I think they made a few mistakes with that along the way. CMJ's promos were like the highlight of that feud, and I was more invested in the story between him and Pete as opposed to Ilya and Pete.
1: I kind of see where you're coming from there. Jacoby's the mouthpiece, isn't he? He's selling the fight. He's drawing your interest in it. And Ilya doesn't seem the kind of guy who's going to get on a microphone and hype a match the way that CMJ did.
0: That's true. We get a brief promo for CMJ just before this match kicks off, talking about how he's not here for the celebration of the Cinderella story of British wrestling. He's here to expose Pete Dunne. So we get our sixth match of the evening. Ilya Dragunov, accompanied by CMJ, taking on Pete Dunne.
1: CMJ... Not just in the promo but his his sort of involvement at ringside throughout this match. He works the crowd so well. He knows what buttons to push to get the response that he wants out of people.
0: I really liked how they started with the brawl. This is an intense feud. You don't want to start with like chain wrestling even though this is about who is the best wrestler, but you know, they they just want at each other and that was really good.
1: There was no way that this match was going to start with the traditional British press slow clap. This had to be blood and thunder, both guys going for it.
0: Get a suplex off the steps by Elia, which is really kind of different, before Pete ends up targeting the leg and gets a sit-down powerbomb for a near fall. scores a superplex, but when he tries to hang on, Pete x him. Ilya builds some momentum with a bunch of clotheslines and a pump handle powerbomb for a near fall. Pete lures Ilya into a snap German suplex and the bitter end, and that only gets a two count. I'd like to
1: say I'm shocked that the bitter end didn't get the job done, but in a match of this magnitude, i started starting to see more and more that the bitter end isn't always the end of these matches for Pete Dunn lately. There's other tools in his arsenal that he's starting to use to put people away.
0: In frustration, he just stomps the shit out of Ilya's head.
1: That is the personification when Stone Cold Steve Austin used to talk about stomping the mud hole in someone and walking it dry. That is exactly what Pete Dunne does.
0: Well, he's not able to walk it completely dry because Ilya winds up spitting on him in retaliation. And then when yeah. he escapes, he lays in with the elbows and then Pete spits on him as a receipt for that.
1: The strikes that were exchanged between the two of those guys are brutal. It adds together of the different elements of what these guys can do. We started off with the brawl, then we got into the more of a wrestling match where they were both showing off the different variety of moves that they have. And then you get to this stage where it's just pure, it's straight up, I am going to try and knock you out.
0: Yeah, and again, you also have the bit around the ringside area, so it's about them being sort of environmental wrestlers as well. The referee gets distracted, which allows CMJ to hit Pete with his UK title. This then sets him up for a coast-to-coast familiar, but he only gets a near-fall. Pete then gets revenge by breaking CMJ's fingers. There's another coast-to-coast attempt that gets swatted out of midair with a forearm, and then the bitter end tombstone still only gets a two-count for Pete. The better end. The better end. I like that. Ilya blocks Pete's flip out of the corner with a burning hammer. Then Pete winds up blocking the Torpedo Moscow headbutt. The second time of asking the Torpedo Moscow headbutt hits but Pete locks in the triangle choke and whilst he locks it in, he basically breaks half of Ilya's fingers off his hand to get the submission victory in 18 minutes and 40 seconds.
1: There's no two ways about that. Pete Dunn destroy that man's hand.
0: Any means necessary. And it fit the bill for this match, you mentioned earlier on about all the stuff Pete had in his arsenal and he needed all of them for this match. I thought this did such a good job of again putting Ilya over as this big match wrestler because of how much Pete needed to invest in this match to put him away.
1: Yeah, definitely. On what was sort of an evening that was a showcase of progress wrestling this match in particular was a showcase of the different talents that both of these guys have and the variety of wrestling that they can bring to a performance
0: and the other thing i really appreciated about this was we've got lots of kind of hardcore style matches across this show this retained a really strong sense of intensity, even in the face of all that. Yeah, definitely.
1: It didn't get lost in the shuffle. The actual physicality and the performance between the two of them got over totally and conveyed how much it meant to each of those to be the best, to be that man standing with his hand raised at the end.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I hope this is an avenue to get Ilya into... Progress a little more often on the kind of level that Walter eventually gets
1: to. I don't think anyone that goes to watch Progress would be disappointed to see more and more of Ilya.
0: Up next, we get the absolutely immense video package running through the Mark Andrews vs. Eddie Dennis feud. This is a work of art. Just go and watch this video package. It's on Progress's YouTube page. It gets across Eddie's point of view and All the little events that have happened in progress history that has gradually made him feel more and more slighted by his friend. Just sensational stuff. So this brings us to our seventh match of the evening, as Eddie Dennis takes on Mark Andrews in a tables, ladders and chairs match. There is actually something hanging above the rafters on the line, which is a guaranteed, quote-unquote, anytime title match for the progress title.
1: Did you know that that was a stipulation going into the match?
0: Literally only twigged it when Jim announced it. I mean, I, I'd seen pictures of the show as it was happening where they were actually climbing the ladder to get something, but I didn't realise wow. that was what the opportunity was.
1: Glenn did a video not long after they announced it was going to be TLC and said, let's make this more interesting. Let's make it for a Progress World Championship match place, any time kind of disappointed to not see a briefcase, but at the same time, I think Progress tradition of a clipboard is more in touch with what they're used to.
0: I suppose this is just seen as a unique opportunity for this feud and not an established piece in play like an IWGP world title Tokyo Dome shot or Money in the Bank kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it sort of makes you think a TLC match is not something that you would perhaps expect to be the first match of these two getting their hands on each other. It's it feels like the blow-off match. Do you think that there were perhaps other opportunities that we would have seen along the way had the injury not panned out the way that it did?
0: It might have been the case, yeah. I guess it plays into the favouritism that Eddie imagines is there for Mark, because you know, you'd know you imagine the aerial guy would have the advantage in a ladder match.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, I think people who follow Attack will know Eddie's had some pretty good ladder matches at some of their big walkabout shows, so it's picking something quite close to his sort of personal preference as well. Before we get into this match... Which side of the fence were you on, Duncan? Were you Team Eddie or were you Team Mark?
0: I started out completely Team Mark, but then watching over that package, some of the stuff that Eddie coaxed out of him was super, super harsh and got more to the thing where I understood where this split comes from. Like, the reaction from both guys was super, super mixed.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it is the feud that kind of summarises the grey areas that there are in wrestling these days in that if you're convincing enough with your argument you can buy people onto your side I mean let's not split hairs the actions of Eddie Dennis were the actions of a heel wrestler Mm. but his justification was so spot on that you found it hard to question the man because he backed up the things that he said the evidence was there the video package highlighted it it makes you wonder maybe i'm looking a bit too deep i don't know but the junior song that mark andrews used to come out to at progress uh, house that's not quite home some lines in that song that maybe give you some insight into to some of the things that eddie dennis is seeing in mark andrews that maybe the lyrics have been telling us the whole time i mean the start of that song, from day one, on my own, is that the kind of guy that Mark Andrews is? Is he only looking out for himself? The line that says, you know that it hurts, but I've got what I need. That, is that the kind of guy that Mark Andrews is? Is he the kind of guy that only cares about what he wants, what he needs, not about how it hurts other people along the way? He's not a saint or a sinner. He's tried to follow his moral compass and this is where it's led them. Is that the same thing could be said about Eddie Dennis? He's followed his moral compass and finally said, enough's enough, Mark. I'm not going to take this anymore. And this is the situation that's led them into. And another fitting lyric, it won't be the same history was made here and when this match was built up and when it finally happens, I think it's safe to say history was made there. And the poignant line of, we're left with the last remains of the past 10 years. Who knows how long the friendship of Mark and Eddie's gone on for. I imagine longer than 10 years, but the, the remains of that friendship is now in absolute tatters.
0: See, I like that because Eddie mentioned in the package how slighted he felt at the scramble at Alexandra Palace when they came out and they both had to come out for Mark's music. So, we get an early climbing attempt by Mark that Eddie cuts off, only to eat a wheelbarrow bulldog and then a Hurricane Rana. Eddie tries to suplex Mark out of a ring through a table on the outside, but then he eats a stun dog millionaire and winds up falling into the table. I say into because we have to address the elephant in the room of this match the tables that just will not break.
1: I am the table! It was bad. Not bad as in sucky bad, bad as in you feel bad for those guys because you know that when those tables don't break, those bumps are awful. In the arena, it felt quite uncomfortable seeing them take these bad bumps on these tables that weren't breaking. But then when I have watched it back with the commentary, Glenn Joseph does a really good job of turning the a negative into a positive and almost sells how much more brutal the moves are because of the tables not breaking
0: this match is filled with brutality so we get a power bomb into that same table that eddie fell through and still doesn't break it Probably could have done with these kind of tables when they started out, and they were renting tables from a firm. And they <laughs> have to that. Like, oh yeah, there's been a bit of a terrible accident. We don't know what's happened to our tables. Please don't fine us. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie finds a stupidly big ladder underneath a ring. Mark comes back with a desperation plancher to the outside, but then gets splash mounted and bombed into the turnbuckles. Eddie goes for the same move again into a chair this time, but gets Frankensteined into it. Oh my god, there's a stalling suplex attempt that's blocked into a sunset flip driver into the table. Guess what? It doesn't break.
1: From my seat at ringside, I was at the unfortunate angle of seeing how Eddie's neck bent and bounced off that table I felt for both of the guys how they managed to get up it astounded me
0: they both wind up climbing the crazy tall ladder and Mark winds up falling into another ladder that's propped into the corner and Eddie is so transfixed by this, he doesn't concentrate on winning, he climbs back down and goes to punish Mark some more
1: at that point in time Eddie has that match won. That contract was there for Eddie's taking, but it just proved what we all knew, that for Eddie, the contract is nice, but that's not what this has been about. He's been waiting for this moment to get his hands on Mark Andrews, and that's exactly what he was going to do.
0: Eddie winds up paying for it, naturally, and gets swanton bombed onto a table as Mark climbs another crazy, crazy big ladder. Mark sets him up on another table but Eddie's able to climb the ladder and meet him at the top and next stop driver him through the table and guess what we finally get a table that breaks
1: such an impressive feat of strength from Eddie to hoist Mark up from the top of that ladder and with all of the hatred that he had for Mark just to let everything go in that next stop driver from 25 feet in the air, crashing through the mat.
0: A crazy big spot to end things and finally give Eddie the opportunity to grab his contract and win the match in 18 minutes and 43 seconds.
1: The match didn't disappoint. There's always a kind of worry that when you have the build as well as they did, that sometimes people don't always click in the ring. And yeah, they had some hardware problems, but in terms of telling the story, I think they got it spot on.
0: I really, really enjoyed this. Although I think what had this working against it, as compared to some of the other grudge matches that we had on this show, was with the stipulation, it kind of eats away at that urgency that you can naturally associate with a really personal feud. Kind of like when you have Last Man Standing matches, there's so much setting up for things that it just doesn't feel as immediate as perhaps it quite should. But then again they are doing these things to create super sadistic scenarios to punish the person that they hate.
1: Yeah, and that speaks volumes of how Eddie's mind worked to get into those situations and how far he was willing to go to, to prove the point that he'd been telling everyone for the last year.
0: Definitely the right result for this match, in my opinion. There's two kinds of heels that you have, really. You have the hypocrite heel and you have the heel who is justified, and Eddie, at this point, is someone who feels very, very justified in his actions, feels that he has a point and that he's proved a point by saying that a top-line heel in line for a world title show would be something really quite useful for the future. Okay, so it's time for our main event. We get a video package hyping up the World Championship match. Get some interesting comments from both Champion and Challenger with Volta saying that he was actually hoping Tyler would win the free and in and that he respects Tyler, but he calls him a kid and not ready because of his wacky outfits and stuff. Tyler then threatens to throw Walter around like he's nothing. I do have to say, though, I cannot take Big Strong Boy seriously as a moniker. I like it as a kind of jokey, nice thing on Twitter, but if you are, like, hyping up your match and you, like, say with a straight face, I'm going to win because I'm a Big Strong Boy, it just sounds a bit odd to me. It kind of sounds like that like you're five years old and you're pretending to be ten years old and, you know, you're...
1: I can't really tell
0: you coming from, but he is he is a big strong boy he is a big strong boy but it's just yeah it's just the boy aspect of it he thinks you know yeah it's just like you know, yeah this explains everything this justifies how i am but you just kind of sound like you know you're using it as an excuse not to eat your vegetables at dinner or something it's like <laughs> yeah i'm a big strong boy i don't need to do this <laughs> So it's time for the main event with the Progress World Championship on the line. The champion, Volta, defending against Tyler Bate. And Volta gets a pair of violinists to play his theme to the ring. That was awesome.
1: That was special.
0: I'm so, so happy he has a theme that is so old it's out of copyright. Yes, definitely. I... Absolutely adored the opening face-off to this match, the whole Hogan-Andre parallel slash Street Fighter thing. Marvellous stuff.
1: Definitely. Whether it was intended or not, I don't know, but the actual, the visual and the the result of some of the photographs that have come out of it are amazing.
0: In the early goings, Volta just mauls Tyler all around the place with headlocks, and Tyler's only able to regain the advantage when he can speed things up, and he nearly deadlifts Volta out of a headlock. Volta hits a leapfrog!
1: Volta <laughs> looks like he shed a bit of timber in the last few months, and he's getting more agile, and the one thing that you don't want is a big guy like that being quick and nimble as well, because he will run you down.
0: hmm We get another WrestleMania 3 parallel as Tyler hits a big scoop slam on Volta, and he's able to escape some of his suplex attempts, only to get chopped out of mid-air.
1: There's no nice way to be chopped by Volta. It sounds like a
0: gun's going off. The second chop in this match, Tyler Rikishi bumps to the chop. I loved it. Volta just winds up smothering bait for a good portion of this match and even gets him on the top rope and just stands on his prone body and chokes him with his foot. Again, to regain the advantage, Tyler has to speed things up. He winds up sending the champion to the outside with a Frankensteiner and suplexes him on the floor. Tyler actually gets the better of a slugfest and is able to airplane spin the champion. He tries to get Volta back off his feet again. Even his next spring lariat can't get the job done. And at the third time of asking, Volta meets him with his own clothesline and a brain buster. Tyler slides out of a superplex attempt. He then escapes the powerbomb and the backdrop counter to the Tyler driver, but eats a massive jump, woo, shotgun dropkick and a powerbomb for a near fall.
1: That shotgun dropkick from Volta is hella, hella impressive. That shotgun drop kick into the corner is a pretty forceful drop kick to take from most wrestlers. To take it from a man of a vulture's stature, it must be like getting hit by a train.
0: <laughs> you probably don't even need to bump for it. It's literally the force from vulture's legs that's taking you that far back. There's then a big exchange of strikes before Tyler is finally able to get the deadlift German, but he only gets a near fall.
1: You can see the look on Volta's face that he is not used to be taking for that kind of ride. <laughs> yeah, it's just just before the bridge
0: starts, like, what? Yeah!
1: There's not a man that is used to being lifted off his feet like that.
0: Volta heads up to the top rope and hits a splash. The
1: fact that he had to go out of his normal comfort zone to go and hit that big top rope splash sort of shows half respect of what he needs to do to take care of someone like Tyler Bate the half desperation of what do I need to do to take care of someone like Tyler Bate
0: and he winds up going up top yet again and Tyler eventually gets to explode at Superplex and then a reverse airplane spin and the Tyler driver 97 but Volta kicks out
1: so so close
0: and a lot of parallels with the Ilya and Pete Dunn match earlier on both men digging deep into places we don't usually go. So Tyler heads up for the spinal tap, but it misses, and Volta locks in his sleeper. Tyler's able to lift Volta up on his back and slam him down, only to get trapped in the hold again. It was like
1: something out of a horror movie. As soon as Tyler slams him down, you think that he's finally got a slight reprieve from Volta, and then it's like it's something like Michael Myers. He just comes back from the dead and wraps those big arms round Tyler's neck, and Tyler must just think, what on earth do I have to do to catch a minute's rest from this
0: guy? (laughs) It's just a month too early for Halloween. (laughs) Tyler tries the Bret Hart WrestleMania 8 roll-up counter, which gets a two count, but then Volta hooks the sleeper on again. There's a huge reaction for Tyler not having his hand drop at the third attempt.
1: Pete and Trent, who were who were seconds for Tyler during the match, got the crowd into a frenzy. They were running around the outside of the ring. They were banging the apron. They were trying to get everyone to G up. And then, as you're sure you're about to tell us...
0: Unfortunately, that momentum gets cut off right away as Volta hits the Rakishi driver to win the match and retain his championship after 30 minutes and 11 seconds of... Really captivating wrestling.
1: That Rikishi driver just felt like the life had come back into Tyler after the constant string of sleeper holds, choking the life out of the poor boy. As you start to see the life come back into him, the crowd are roaring, and then Walter just kills it in a snap.
0: Yeah, this was a really fabulous matchup.
1: It's going to be in that top ten list of matches that Progress puts out at the end of the year. Yeah,
0: like you were saying earlier, for me, the driving force of this match is all the extra work both men have to put into just to get their regular trademark offence off. Volta having to cope with the escapes of Tyler, flipping out of all his typical suplexes, Tyler having to overcome the size disadvantage and repeating his offence over and over just to get Volta down to a knee. It had this big fight feel. Tyler felt like he was really fighting for legitimacy in the eyes of the champion, and this was a big, big performance from him.
1: Yeah, definitely. In some ways, you kind of draw some comparisons to the Pete and Elia match in terms of feel, but I think, for me, Pete and Elia was more like, to use the cliche, it was like two superstars. It was like two performers, whereas this match felt like the wrestling match. This was the two top wrestlers in the company going at it and just having an absolute boss to the wall wrestling match and seeing who the better man was.
0: I agree. I think Pete and Ilya's match was more sort of reactionary based on their instincts and stuff, whereas this one was more like the thinking man's wrestling match. I loved at the end, did you spot Volta? Air violin with his championship belt. Yes,
1: Yes, I did.
0: (laughs) Kyle O'Reilly,
1: eat your heart out.
0: (laughs) Fabulous end to the show.
1: Fabulous show from top to bottom. What an occasion to get from 300 people in the garage to 4,750 people at Wembley Arena has been quite a journey.
0: Mm. And it just begs the question where next to that journey.
2: If we never did a show as big as this again, I'd still be super proud if we only ever did The Ballroom ever again. Um, but I think, obviously, when you set a precedent on something like this, it's like, OK, what is next? And it's the question, and I've been doing a lot of press, it's the thing people keep asking me, and they're like, I don't know, we need to not just see, it's not just about many tickets we the set, we need to see how happy our fan base is with the show today. Like, when we first did Ali Pali, people liked it enough for us to want to do Super Strong Style there, uh, uh, this year, and that's like, like, that was because the fans liked it there. And if the fan experience today is as strong as the wrestling in the ring will be, and as strong as we're happy with the ticket sales, then there's potential for us to do it again, or to try and do a similar sort of size arena. But, it's not it really what, what is we're it about. It isn't just numbers, and bodies and seats, it's about the fan experience. Fans I, mean, exactly. I mean, there are plenty, of, trust me Les, there are plenty of, maybe, uh, are plenty of people here, who've been doing this already. There's not a lot of venues in London. There's a lot of venues we could run which would be absolutely terrible. Yeah. So it's always about that. What people want to from that is they trust us to put on... There's a lot of things we learned at Ali for the first time, we've changed from their side. I'm sure that if we were in the latter, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. we going to be like, since we've Yeah, we like, you know, hire more people. But the just don't know. Like, like yeah. we know we're always going to put shows on the forward, for example, we know that. But we don't really people think we must have like some business plan or goals or
0: something like that. We haven't got. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. um, we just, just rolled
2: it. We just rolled it and we <laughs> ended up here. And don't get—we end up here not because we went after Wembley, but Wendy came after us. That's the real groundbreaking thing about the show: is we're an independent wrestling company, and we got asked to do this venue—a venue that WWE normally do, the do the TNA have done, and back in the um, World the sport days, where the All Star cetera were doing. it. But no-one's been asked to like this for do it since. And for us to be asked by women in the arena is insane. And it's a properly Yeah, that, that, it's it's an amazing, it's an amazing feeling. But uh, Like, it goes to show that over six years, we've, like, we've, we've gone on a, a very, very long way. Uh, we never expected it. To be this was never the plan. No, no, the plan was, <laughs> let's not have loan sharks take off phones. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Overall thoughts on the show, who was your standout performer and what was your favourite match?
1: It was a celebration of progress. It was a celebration of everything that they brought to the table. It was like a greatest hits show. We got to see some old rivalries. We got to see progress mainstays get their big moment. We got to see what we'd all wanted with the, the Eddie and Mark payoff. got to see the two, we say, top wrestlers in Volta in and Tyler it just in terms of favorite match I think I'm gonna have to go for the TLC match just because of what it encompassed in the in what I feel or what I hope is putting an end to that chapter of the story it's one of those stories that I'm gonna look back on in the same way that I look on the progress title run of Jimmy Havoc, that's up there with some of the greatest storytelling that there's ever been in wrestling. And for me, the the Mark Andrews and Eddie Dennis angle, it sits up there with those top stories that have been told
0: in wrestling. Fantastic. For me, this was a really enjoyable show. Like you say, the celebratory atmosphere. I was really worried about hearing about the show overrunning and, you know, the... People were exhausted after certain matchups, that the energy would run out at some point, but it just didn't. The atmosphere was so incredible. My favourite match was the world title match, the main event. Just a work of art in places. And my MVPs definitely bolted the champion. He carried himself like a true champion. For someone who, I don't know how often he's fought in an arena, he definitely didn't feel out of place in that environment.
1: He looks like he's made to main event shows of that stature. If I was picking an MVP, my man Santos, after performing on a damaged wheel to give the performance that he did in that match and pull off some of the spots that he did, he gets my vote. (laughs)
0: Lovely stuff. So, yeah, this is a super, super enjoyable show. It really kicked into gear with the Robinson and Havoc grudge match for me. And I can imagine, as well, as a live experience, how immense it was.
1: Oh, yeah! As a live experience, it was great because even though it was on such a, a large scale, it still felt like progress. It still felt like, in some ways, being at the ballroom or the Ritz or the O2 Academy shows that they they run at. It felt the same because progress fans loyal and take that they'll travel around the the country to to watch the brand and they always bring the same level of enthusiasm and when you couple that with the home comforts of of things that were always going to happen like jim's opening speeches and and how he is in between the matches it, it got the feeling right sometimes i think shows like that if you move them two arenas there's always a worry that it will lose that level of, of, of how personal it can be but i didn't feel that was lost at all
0: that'll wrap up this episode remember you can follow us on twitter at tnw podcast keep track of all of our latest news and comings and goings subscribe to the show on apple Podcasts on on our soundcloud page soundcloud.com forward slash tnw podcast that's where you'll also find a playlist of my guest appearances on the Rory's Nitro podcast. And we're also available on Stitcher Radio. You can now also follow us on Instagram. Search, I think it's TNW underscore podcast. And we're also on Facebook. We also have a tip jar over at ko-fi.com forward slash vent now whatever. If you're feeling super, super generous and you can give us a tip and that'll contribute to the SoundCloud fees and things like that. Gareth, thank you so much for joining me for this episode.
1: No, thanks a lot for having me, man. Before we end it, I need to say, obviously, a massive thank you to yourself for, for letting me represent you guys at Wembley and for giving me the opportunity to come on and do this. I know when uh, that first day we, that we met at that tag team show when you told me you had a podcast, I remember saying to you that that sounds really cool and it's something that uh, I would like to have tried for myself one time and it's funny how things work out that I've had the opportunity to do that with you today and obviously thank you to Adam at Progress and, and everyone there who was so accommodating all the guys that came out to do the interviews and to all the all the other podcasters that were there on the day they were a, a lovely group of people that made the day uh, as special as it was.
0: Gareth you're a shining example of the kind of person that would love to meet at an independent wrestling show
1: Well, oh, Thank you very much man. I really appreciate that
0: And yeah once again thank you to Adam from Progress's social media team especially for helping set this all up for us Okay, so it's a goodbye from Gareth. Goodbye, and it's a goodbye from me. I catch you down the road.